This is episode number 34, where there is a will, there is a way, with JT McCormick. Welcome, my name is Ola Glowheat, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before I introduce today's guest, I would like to make a brief announcement and invite all of our listeners to our upcoming conference, Path to Resilience, in Philadelphia on September 22nd a conference where you'll have a chance to explore techniques for developing inner strength, becoming more persistent, finding your tribe, believing in yourself no matter how great the odds may be, and many more. For more information, please go to overcomingodds.today. Now, let's get back to our guest. Where there is a will, there is a way. A mindset that allows us to get through life's toughest obstacles, a mindset that allowed J.T. McCormick to overcome racism, poverty, and abuse to achieve the American dream. A dream that taught J.T. the importance of not being defined by your past. Without further ado, please welcome J.T. McCormick. J.T., welcome to the show. For those who aren't familiar with your background and your story, could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? My, my father was a black pimp and drug dealer in the, the 1970s, so my father was a black man, and he was a real pimp, not, not what you hear now, where, you know, pimp my ride, pimp my apartment, you know, the word, I, I don't know where this happened in our society, but the word pimp became glamorous. My father was not glamorous. He put women on a street corner, they sold their bodies, and he took their money, and at times, there were times where I rode around with him when he collected from prostitutes. Mm. So my father was a pimp and drug dealer. He had 23 children, 23 confirmed, because <laughs> God only knows if he has more, but I'm one of 23. I'm the only one by my mother. My mother was raised in an orphanage, in a 1950s institutional orphanage. I don't know where my last name comes from. I have my mother's last name, but she was given that name in the orphanage, and she has no clue why. We have no clue where or why that that name McCormick has has come about I I people will joke sometimes and they'll say to me oh are you part of the McCormick Spice family <laughs> maybe <laughs> or, or or are you related to McCormick and Schmidt's the 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 restaurant possibly mm-hmm. uh, I I don't know I I don't know where the last name comes from is there a desire to figure that out not really uh it's it's not going to tell me anything that for me is is relevant at at this point um you know if if i was part of the mccormick spice family what what does that change for me Mm -hmm. nothing um so no i you know this is my name and and i will start my legacy piece from here going forward with my children grandchildren and great great grandchildren so i have no desire to find out where the the last name came from uh-huh. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me from what you just shared and actually your book was um, 
the different ways that you found to deal with abuse, especially at a very young age. That's a very common theme for a lot of the people that have shared their stories through our website and some of the past podcast guests that we've had as well. So the question that I have for you is, how did you deal with that abuse during the early, early years? And where did you find the motivation to get through some of those hardships? As a child? Yeah. Uh, I, I believe I dealt with it like many children do. You were constantly navigating how to not get abused. You know, how, how do I not catch a beating? How do I not get sexually molested? How can I avoid a, a situation? So it was a constant navigation of how can I avoid these circumstances? How can I smile or do something else, say something to uh, avoid whatever may or may not be uh, about to, to happen? Um, it's interesting you, you said that uh, about the book. And I'll share this with you because this part's not in the book. It actually just surfaced last December. Mm-hmm. My wife and I were sitting on the couch. We put the kids to bed, and it was around Christmas time. And we're watching TV, and my wife looks over at me, and she says, How come you never allow me or let me initiate sex? And I looked at her and said, I don't know. And I said, Let me think about that. And so it took about two weeks to, to think about it, and it hit me that when I look at my, all of my adulthood, I've never let any woman initiate sex with me. And I figured it out that back in the back of my mind that I had locked up, thrown away the key, put it in a safe, chains around it and thrown it in the bottom of the ocean was when I was six, seven and eight years old, um, one of my father's prostitutes used to make me go down on her and at six years old, when I didn't do it right, whatever that means at six years old, mm-hmm. uh, she would slap me and she would punch me and she would beat me and she would tell me to do it right. And I didn't know what to do. And I just remember the beatings and, and how upset I used to get because I didn't know what to do. And what that led to was it created perfectionism for uh-huh. me where I I made a a commitment to myself that I would never be in a position where I didn't know what to do. The beauty in that, the positive is I would operate, I would attempt to operate flawlessly in everything I did, Uh but we all know there's no such thing as perfect. So I was chasing a ghost many times and perfectionism is, is a, ugly place to be because the minute some you don't know something or someone calls you out or you make a mistake for me it was very painful because I always wanted to know what I needed to do now it's helped me immensely in my career Uh but it's had some negative ramifications too and it all comes from that moment I remember going back to my wife and I said hey I figured it out and she looked at me like, figured what out? And, and I said, why I never let you initiate sex? And I explained it to her. And she goes, that totally makes sense. But I, it, it, for my whole adulthood, I've never let any woman initiate sex. And that's why. Um, so, yeah, that's not in the book because I just discovered it or, or was willing to. Bonus material. Yeah, there you go. I was willing to open the door because I was asked. You know, my wife asked me about it. You know, even the book says uh, how I overcame abuse. 
but I never put that part in there. Um, but yeah, that's it was it was harsh. It, it was a, a harsh thing that I walked around with for God knows how long of not being able to um, uh, allow a woman to initiate sex. Do you think? Well, it sounds like one of the reasons why it was not in the book maybe was because you were still trying to find courage on your end to share that piece of yourself? You know, I, I can't say for sure if it was courage on my end. It, it was more, uh, I, I believe it was something that I just had locked up that I wasn't, that I had just stored away and uh-huh. I, I wasn't going back. It, it, it was, I remember the beatings and, and getting punched in the side of the head and uh, getting slapped and told to do it right. But it sucked because you, I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I want, okay, fine. I'll do it what right. Is that right. What is, what is right. And so, um, I don't know if it was so much courage, especially when I was doing the book, because at that point, the book in itself through a lot of encouragement, through a lot of support, I never wanted my book to go public ever because of some of the horrific things that that are in there and one i didn't want you to know who i was Mm -hmm. i didn't want you to know my father was a pimp and my mother was an orphan and i had 23 half brothers and sisters and uh, i had no college degree and barely finished high school i didn't want anybody to know all that and so but the book was being done for my children so at that point of doing the book it was very therapeutic but i don't I, i can't say for sure why I didn't put that in there other than the fact of I literally buried that memory until my wife asked me the question. Very interesting. Yeah. I'm curious to know of how you actually developed the courage in the first place to write the book because one of the things that I'm experiencing um, within the work that I started doing through Overcoming Odds was that the more I do it and the more I share about the experiences that I went through there is a part that still lives in Russia, part of my family, that may criticize or may say, well, this didn't truly happen as a way right. to maybe you know, cover their bases in the, in the cases that did happen. So was there ever a thought in your mind that, okay, by me sharing my story, am I being disloyal to my parents? Am I showing, am I putting a spotlight on them in the cases where they weren't the most positive influences? Was that ever a thought in your mind, and did that potentially prevent you in it, cases it, to write the book? It was a thought, but it didn't prevent me. And the reason why it didn't prevent me is because I did I, I did my book for my children. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to know where I came from. I wanted them to know how I originated, how it, it, it came to be, because I have no legacy. I, again, I can't tell you where my last name comes from. Obviously, my dad was not uh, around, and so I, I have no legacy. So for me, nothing pre- prevented me from doing the book. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what did happen was I never wanted the book to be public. Mm. That part was was very much... A lot of encouragement, a lot of support, a lot of conversations uh, of people who said to me, you know, JT, you would be doing a disservice to society if you did not make your book public. And there was a lot of struggles in, in making that book public because, like I said, for 45 years, I essentially did not live a fully authentic life. Uh-huh. I didn't want you to know who I was. I was whoever I needed to be to get to wherever I wanted to go. 
So if you thought I was Mexican, I was Mexican. You mm. thought I had an MBA, I had an MBA. Um, I didn't want, but if I was going to do the book, I wanted my children to know all of me. So the, in, in the book, it talks about, man, there were parts of my life where I was a monster. I, I couldn't hold a relationship with a woman. I was a, a, a walking beast, uh, horrible in, in relationships, horrible. Couldn't hold one, could, had zero respect, nothing, just horrible in relationships. Um, but I put that in the book because I wanted my kids to know, hey, if you're going to know your dad, well, you know every part of me, <laughs> the, the good, the bad, the ugly. But what was freeing, there's one page in particular where it says, my name is Javon Thomas McCormick. I'm half white, half black. I have no college degree. My father was a pimp. My mother was an orphan. And why that was freeing is because I essentially for 45 years lived a life to where I was whatever I needed to be. So I didn't always want you to know who I was. So if, if you and I had had a conversation in the past and you assumed I had an MBA, I had to remember that when we had a conversation again, if you said something about MBA, I had to go with the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that was very freeing. It was, okay, here, here's who I am, period, point blank. But I, I did struggle a little bit. Um, my mother was worried that she would look like a bad parent. Mm-hmm. She was worried about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very conscious of the fact that I didn't want my half brothers and sisters to to feel like I was uh, speaking down to them or, or making them look bad. Uh, so I was very conscious of that as well. But at the end of the day, nothing was going to prevent me from writing the book for my children. Mm. Very interesting. What type of questions did you ask yourself when you first started that self-discovery process? Because... I know that from your book there, you spoke about one of your teachers who said that there's no such thing as a stupid question. Yeah. What, what did you do How, when you finally came to that realization, said, okay, this is not the life I want to live, or I've been, li- I've been living a fake life, or um, you know, under a mask. What did you ask yourself that helped you break through that moment and actually start living the life that you're living right now? I don't know that I necessarily asked myself anything. It was through those conversations of support and encouragement that, you know, when I set out to do the book, um, oddly enough, I'm the CEO of the company now that did my book. (laughs) And, And so once they started hearing my story, the amount of support that came in, they realized, oh, wow, okay, this is who he is. He's a good person. And, and so I was willing to open up more and more about who, who I was. There wasn't a lot of questions. It was really came down to the, the fact of, here, I can say it best this way. The day we were having a launch party for my book, my wife and I were getting dressed. And she said, are you excited? And I go, no. And she goes, why not? <laughs> I said, imagine every secret, every dark part about you getting ready to go public and everybody's going to know it. Mm-hmm. I said, does that excite you? And she goes, yeah, I said that way, no. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, I, I, I get it. I understand it. And so it was really just the commitment that I wanted it for my children. And when people encouraged me and supported me and said it would benefit and maybe inspire others, I didn't firmly believe it, 
But the feedback now that that book's been public, blown away by the people who open up and share their stories with me. I'd have never thought um, any of that would have happened from that book. That's, it's amazing to hear that because one of the things that I've been going through is as I was as I'm putting together my book is there's a chapter where I speak about how I used to hide report cards. I, I used to hide report cards and the reason why is because I didn't fully agree with the comments I was receiving in some of the classes. And it wasn't because I was trying to be a bad kid. Right. And the comments were talkative, disruptive, and whatever it may be. And but the real reason behind those comments was because I was in a culture where I had no clue how do you what is that right way to act? Yeah. What is that normal? Right. So I was living the culture that I was originally brought up in. And that culture was also included times where I was just on my own. Right. And so to be thrown into organized system, organized school, and like, this is how you behave. You speak when you're spoken to. You sit when wherever we tell you. So for the longest time, I used to beat my parents home. I'd go in that mailbox. <laughs> I'd pull out the report card and I'd hide it. And then one day, I, I, obviously, I got caught yeah. by my mom. And she was sitting in the family room. And I remember it, it was that time when I checked the mailbox and it wasn't there. And, and I was just thinking, hmm. They must have it. Yeah. <laughs> so I went home and my mom was sitting in the family room and she pulled out the sheet of paper and she said, we need to talk. And so that, that moment, what it made me realize was that because of the things I went through, coming from a different country, not knowing how to act, not knowing what the right way to do it, things out would be, um, that's what made me do is go into a school system and act differently. Yeah. And then you were automatically labeled as a trouble kid. Right. And someone who is not able to learn. And so, like, in, you're a perfect example of, you know, putting on the different masks. Yeah. If you want me to be this, I'll be that. Right. If you want me to have an MBA in order to get to that long-term goal that I'm shooting for, I'll have the MBA. Right. <laughs> yep. So, what amazes me the most within your story is that you started with nothing. You've lost all the money. Yeah. You lost the job. How'd you bounce back? You know... For me, I already knew what it was like to be poor. Uh-huh. What what I can't imagine, imagine if you come from a wealthy family, which neither of us do. Um, imagine if you come from a wealthy family uh-huh. and one day at the age of 35, you're broke, but you've always had money. You're, you're the 35 years of life. I can't imagine what goes through that person's mind. Well, what went through my mind was, okay, I've been broke before. I know what this feels like. I know what it feels to be broke. You know, I had disappointment in myself for allowing myself to, to make a million dollars and then blow it all. Mm-hmm. But I knew what it felt like to be poor. Very humbling because I remember going back into the convenience store with a handful of quarters. I had $10 in quarters and I walked in at like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I said, could I have $10 on number seven in, in quarters? Cause I was embarrassed. That's all you know, I only had changed at that point. And, but I knew what it felt like to be poor. So I knew, okay, if I made it once I can do it again. And so it was just a matter of, it was a great reset for me in life because I had a time to reflect when you don't have anything, you have to get back on your feet. And for me, it was a great time of reflection. Like, man, I can't hold a relationship. 
Mm-hmm. I, I suck in relationships. And what am I going to do and how am I going to get back on, on my feet? And so it was a great point of, of rebuilding character and who did I want to be 2.0. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it didn't really, it sucked, obviously. And, you know, you go from having some money to, be, to being broke, but I was equipped to deal with it because I knew what it was like to be poor. So for me, it wasn't that bad. Um, I had a small apartment. Washer and dryer, thankfully, uh, had a car, not the ones that I had, um, and so. But it wasn't it wasn't that bad. And I, I immersed myself in in study of leadership, investing, uh, growth of, of companies, and I just immersed myself in, in that. But the the going back to zero, or let's let's call it what it is, negative zero, because I had to borrow money from my my stepdad and my best friend to pay my rent. But wasn't that bad. Uh, it's but I knew what it tasted like. Uh huh. I knew I knew what broke. You know, I was just there with friends with broke again. You know, <laughs> here we are back again. Um, but that uh, wasn't that bad. With all that said, what does success mean to you? Success for me, you know, so much of. I remember always growing up hearing this phrase: is that. Uh, Money doesn't buy happiness. And I, I remember always saying to myself, yeah, tell that to somebody that's broke. Tell that to somebody who's hungry. Bullshit, it doesn't buy happiness. Um, you know, I, I'd much rather be unhappy with money than, than, than broke and, and, and unhappy. But uh, success for me for years was about the money. Now I realize it's more, for, for me, success. I have it every day uh, with my family. I wake up, I got three beautiful children, I got a wonderful wife, beautiful home, I live in a gated community. Coming from where I came from, I'm successful every day. I'm the CEO of a publishing company and I can't tell you an adverb from a pronoun. God knows I can't spell. You know, I'm, I still, one of my top people I want to meet is uh, the man or woman who created Spellcheck because good God, they've been influential in my career. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm successful every day. And I would say this to anyone, success is defined by the individual. It's not defined by money. Money is not because you can be successful if you're a, um, if you just want to ski for a living. Uh-huh. If you just want to make 50 grand a year and, and you want to travel from Airbnb, Airbnb to through, throughout the world, that may be your definition of success. Money does not define success. Success is defined by the individual, but you have to decide what's your definition of success. Right. So for me, yes, there is a financial component to it because I grew up broke, but it's also having a loving family. I didn't have those things, you know, and I've got three children now and I've got another one on the way. So to have four children now and I have a family uh, to, to take my family to Disney World on family vacations, things I never did. Just the vehicle. Just the, the vehicle. So money is, is great and it, it enables me to do many of these things. And, and again, don't get me wrong, love having money, but... It's not the ultimate definition. It's a component of it for me. Fam- family first, uh, health, and and the the money piece would, would tie into it. But my my health, my family, financial security would be the definition uh, of success. Mm. Final thought for today's episode, and that is, when the odds are completely against you, 
what are some core fundamental principles? Well, see, you and I talked about this to. beforehand, and I, I mentioned to you, I never feel that the odds are against me. I, I just, uh, it, it was when, when you said that question to me, I expressed to you, I don't feel that the odds are ever against me. Mm-hmm. For me, if those are the parameters, if those are the obstacles, okay, let me find a way to, to overcome them. But I never feel that the odds are, are against me. You know, as a, as a kid, being half white, half black, in, in the 70s was not a nice thing. You know, black people didn't like me because I was half white. White people didn't like me because I was half black. The beauty in that lesson is I learn at four and five years old, everyone's not always going to like you. Mm-hmm. Most people don't learn that lesson until middle school, high school, college, or their first career. And it shakes them when they feel, find out that not every, you know, this person does, oh my God, why don't you like me? And, you know, <laughs> hell, I knew from the age of four, okay, everyone's not going to like me. So for me, I've never felt that the odds are against me. It's just how do I figure out what the parameters are, the obstacles? And how do I, I overcome them? And so I'll, I'll share this last piece with you. I have made a ton of mistakes in my life, in business, in relationships. I've made a ton of missteps in business, in relationships, parenting. But I have never failed because you only fail if you stop trying. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our weekly newsletter so you can receive all of our latest episodes, featured stand-up and speak-up stories, and ways you can be involved with Overcoming Odds. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you next week.